Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, over the years, my family had recorded many Christmas specials that graced our television screens over the holiday season, from perennial classics A Charlie Brown Christmas and The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, to rarities like The Cabbage Patch Kid's First Christmas, and for better or for worse, The Bestest Present. So I'm going to give you my top five favorite Christmas specials. They might surprise you. At number five, we have Mickey's Christmas Carol from 1983. This is my favorite version of the Dickens classic. It featured Scrooge McDuck as Ebenezer Scrooge, of course, and Mickey Mouse as Bob Cratchit. All your favorite Disney characters play parts, including Goofy, Jiminy Cricket, Donald Duck, Willie the Giant, and many more. In the original special, it was presented with three shorts starring Pluto and Chip and Dale, Donald and his nephews, and Goofy attempting to ski. All around very cute. Number four, a Garfield Christmas special from 1987. I've always had a soft spot for the fat cat, and all his holiday specials should be required viewing. John brings Garfield and Odie to the Arbuckle farm to celebrate Christmas with his family. The highlight of the special has to be the bond Garfield forms with another curmudgeon, Grandma, voiced by Pat Carroll, who would go on to play Ursula the Sea Witch in the Disney animated movie, The Little Mermaid. Number three, He-Man and She-Ra, a Christmas special from 1985. On the planet of Eternia, the royal family are preparing to celebrate the birthdays of twins Adam and Adora, He-Man and She-Ra's alter egos. Their misfit sorcerer friend, Orko, gets accidentally transported to Earth, where he learns about Christmas. This causes Horde Prime to order Skeletor and Hordak to stop the Christmas spirit from coming back to Eternia. Or something like that. The real joy of this special is seeing all of your favorite characters from both series come together, and in the end, Skeletor ends up feeling the Christmas spirit, and he doesn't like it one bit. Number 2. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas from 1977. This is an absolute gem. It's based on the book of the same name, but Jim Henson and his Muppeteers bring this world to life with beautiful sets and exquisite puppets. It was written by Jerry Jewell, directed by Jim Henson, featuring songs by Paul Williams. I think this special is a perfect balance of everything you love about the Muppets. Catchy music, witty dialogue, unique characters. Now, the only place you can view this special in its entirety is on YouTube. The DVD and Blu-ray releases have scenes omitted due to rights issues. Kermit the Frog originally narrated the special, but when the Muppets were sold to Disney, the Henson Company could no longer use his image. Believe that or not. Despite this, it's a twist on the Gift of the Magi short story with the magic that only Jim Henson and his company brings. And my number one special will be revealed later in the podcast. 
On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of 5 stars. 1 star is Skip It, 2 stars Watch at Your Own Risk, 3 stars Standard Fare, 4 stars Worth Checking Out, and 5 stars Must See. Now if I give a title 5 stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie It's a Wonderful Life from 1946. So how'd I miss it? Well first, I wouldn't say I watch a lot of holiday movies. Holiday specials, definitely. But it's rare that I sit down and watch an actual holiday movie. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation being the exception. But I think because this movie is played every year on NBC, I just keep saying to myself, eh, maybe next year. And I've just never gotten around to it. So now I have an excuse to watch it and see what the fuss is all about. It was directed by Frank Capra, who helmed Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Arsenic and Old Lace, and won three, yes, three Academy Awards for It Happened One Night, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, and You Can't Take It With You. The screenplay was written by Francis Goodrich, Albert Hackett, and Frank Capra based on the short story The Greatest Gift by Philip Van Doren Stern. This is something to look out for. Despite being considered one of the greatest Christmas movies, no scenes take place on the actual holiday. So in the town of Bedford Falls, members of the community pray for George Bailey. Their pleas are heard in the heavens where Senior Angel and Joseph call upon Clarence to get acquainted with George, who's thinking of throwing away God's greatest gift, his life. Boy, this sounds like a feel-good romp. If Clarence accomplishes the mission, he'll get his wings, which he's waited 200 years for. They introduce him to George through a retrospective of his life. When George was 12 years old, he and his friends went sledding down a hill onto a frozen lake. He teases his baby brother Harry to join in, and upon his turn, he slides into the frigid water. George ends up saving him, but catches a bad cold which infected his left ear, leaving him hearing impaired. It was weeks before George could return to his job at Old Man Gower's drugstore. Apparently, there were no labor laws in 1919. As he makes a soda for Mary, who has a crush on him, he comes across a letter informing Mr. Gower that his son Robert died of influenza. Boy, this thing is a laugh riot. George checks on the distraught man and notices that he accidentally put poison into the pills instead of the proper medication. He brings it to the attention of Mr. Gower, who initially beats the hell out of him before realizing his mistake. Apparently, there were no child abuse laws in 1919. Holy crap, people watch this film for enjoyment? The angels flash forward to an adult George Bailey who's purchasing a piece of luggage so he can travel the world. When the cashier says that it's no charge, he tells George that Mr. Gower picked it out as a present for him. George Bailey is portrayed by James Stewart, who starred in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Harvey, Vertigo, and won an Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role for the Philadelphia Story. At dinner, his father asks George if he would consider coming back to the Bailey Building and loan, but he's not interested. He has bigger ambitions and doesn't want to be serving Henry F. Potter, the richest and meanest man in the county. Mr. Potter is performed by Lionel Barrymore from the acclaimed Barrymore family, which includes Ethel, John, and Drew. He won an Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role for A Free Soul. George attends Harry's graduation party at the school and he bumps into Marty, brother of Mary, whom he asks if he wants to dance with his kid sister. Mary dumps her date, who is played by Carl Switzer, Alfalfa from The Little Rascals. 
Mary Hatch is played by Donna Reed, best known for The Donna Reed Show, which aired from 1958 to 1966, and won a Best Actress in a Supporting Role Oscar for From Here to Eternity. They walk through the town and rekindle their friendship. They throw rocks at an abandoned building and make a wish. George talks about traveling the world while Mary refrains from divulging her wish. As things are starting to look up, George's father has a stroke and passes away. Henry F. Potter wants to dissolve Bailey Building and Loan because of their idealistic approach to giving out money. When the board votes Potter down, it's on the condition of appointing George as executive secretary. Otherwise, they'll dissolve the company. He begrudgingly accepts the position. This decision sets off a series of events, some good, some bad, but they lead George to attempt suicide. Clarence saves him from the act and shows him how things would have turned out if he'd never been born. Clarence is acted by Henry Travers of The Invisible Man, Shadow of a Doubt, and High Sierra fame. He was nominated for a Best Actor in a Supporting Role Oscar for Ms. Minerva. Here's a quote without context. You'll see a lot of strange things from now on. It's a Wonderful Life is an interesting movie. It's beautifully acted. Jimmy Stewart is so phenomenal. He plays that aw shucks ordinary guy really well. Donna Reed is fantastic. It's really worth it just to watch their performances. They did have some neat little ideas in there. When the heavens were talking, they had shining, twinkling lights to represent each of the angels. It's a clever little touch that I liked. Now, the one thing that's great about older movies is that it's shot in black and white. Everything looks prettier in black and white. That's not to say that this movie doesn't have any flaws. It's really a bit of a downer, man. I... I just can't see me sitting around, going with the family. Let's let's gather around the fire and watch It's a Wonderful Life, a movie that's 95% depressing, just for that 5% moral that you should be happy with the life that you have. But I also had problems with the pacing. When you're told at the beginning of the movie that a person is going to attempt suicide, you almost want to get to that point faster, not to see them commit suicide, that's awful, but just the idea of, okay, what is it that makes him go there? And I think that just takes a little too long. And we're not introduced to Clarence in human form until almost an hour and 40 minutes into the movie, which is just way too long. The interesting part is seeing them together and him showing George, hey, this is what life would have been like if you were never born. Since I just finished watching the movie about two hours ago, this really is a fresh perspective. I, I'm very unsure about it. I mean, I really did like it, but I just can't get past the fact that people want to watch this every year around the holiday season. <laughs> it just astounds me. But from an acting, directing, storytelling, I mean, it, it's definitely a good movie. Now for a little trivial trivia. Despite popular belief, the Sesame Street Muppets Bert and Ernie were not named after the characters in this movie. It is purely coincidental. The cinematography was captured by Joseph Walker, whose filmography includes His Girl Friday, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and You Can't Take It With You, and Joseph Barak, who worked on The Flight of the Phoenix, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, and won an Academy Award for Best Cinematography for The Towering Inferno. It was edited by William Hornbeck, who worked on Shane, Giant, The Barefoot Contessa, and won an Academy Award for Best Film Editing for A Place in the Sun. 
The score was composed by Dmitry Tomkin, who won four Academy Awards for Best Music, Scoring of a Dramatic or Comedy Picture for The Old Man and the Sea, The High and the Mighty, High Noon, and Best Music Original Song, Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darlin' from High Noon. The runtime is 2 hours and 10 minutes. It had a budget of $3.1 million and grossed $3.8 million at the box office. Ultimately, the movie comes down to... Discouraged, Chain Gang, Hot Dog, Genuine English Cowhide, Pool Party, Hydrangea Bushes, Bingo, Common Ordinary Yokel, I Burped, and Angel Second Class. I give it 3.5 out of 5 stars. But if you've seen It's a Wonderful Life and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along, each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. It's almost time to reveal my favorite Christmas special. But first, a couple of honorable mentions. How the Grinch Stole Christmas from 1966, a perennial classic from Dr. Seuss and Chuck Jones, narrated by Boris Karloff, with songs sung by Tony the Tiger. I mean Thurl Ravenscroft. A Charlie Brown Christmas from 1965, Absolute Timeless. The Snowman from 1982, Walking in the Air is Magical. And you didn't think being a British fan I couldn't include it. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer from 1964, Sometimes What Makes Us Different is Our Best Attribute. The Christmas Toy from 1986, another special produced by the Jim Henson Company. Basically, Toy Story at Christmas. It's about time to reveal my favorite Christmas special. At number one, A Muppet Family Christmas from 1987. Written by Jerry Jewell, directed by Peter Harris. Fozzie Bear and his Muppet friends plan on surprising his mother, Emily, to celebrate the holidays together. But she has different plans, which includes catching some rays on the beaches of Malibu. She's rented Grizzly Farm out to Doc and his dog Sprocket, who want to have a nice, quiet Christmas in the country. Hilarity ensues. I watch this special a couple times a year. It never gets old. And I laugh every single time someone slips on the icy patch. It's simply perfect. It's the only special that features characters from all four Jim Henson franchises. The Muppets, Muppet Babies, Sesame Street, and Fraggle Rock. It's really charming and heartwarming. The final medley includes Christmas standards and Muppet classics. It also features a rare cameo appearance by Jim Henson. If you haven't learned from listening to this podcast, I'm a big Muppet fan from this era. I honestly can't express how much I enjoy this special. This magic cannot be replicated. While it's available on DVD and Blu-ray, due to some music license issues, not all the songs and scenes are present. If you want to watch it in its purest form, A Muppet Family Christmas is available in the Matt Watch That Playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about The Great British Bake Off. It's also known as The Great British Baking Show in America because the Pillsbury Company trademarked the term Bake Off. It's a competition reality series where amateur bakers test their skills to create the most delectable dishes to be reviewed by two judges. There are three rounds which test the baker's abilities. 
the Signature Challenge, the Technical Challenge, and the Showstopper Challenge. At the end of each episode, a baker is eliminated until three remain in the final episode. The show was originally hosted by comedians Mel Gidroich and Sue Perkins, with judges Paul Hollywood, real name, and Mary Berry, who is a stickler for soggy bottoms. Heh, so am I. When the series moved networks, Sandy Togsby and Noel Fielding took over the hosting duties, with Prue Lath replacing Mary Berry. After three seasons, Matt Lucas came on board as co-host with Noel Fielding. While I am a fan of both individually, they can be a little too much at times. They just have to be funny, and it can get grating. I'm not big on reality competition series because they rarely show the good side of humanity. It's always about alliances, manipulation, stabbing backs, and of course money. But the Great British Bake Off is different. While you're in competition with other bakers, it's mostly about your own skills and abilities. They always seem to cast very likable people, who know it's a competition, but don't allow that to overshadow decency. There have been challenges where someone needs help finishing decorations, and other contestants will assist them. After a few weeks, a bond has formed with the contestants, and by the finals, they're genuinely happy for the winner. This is the type of programming we need, especially right now. It's a feel-good show, perfect for binging over the holiday season with the family. The Great British Bake Off has been on for 12 seasons, 113 episodes from 2010 to present. Episodes can be found streaming on Netflix and on your local PBS stations. That's all for this season of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSarosky.com for the latest news and updates, and come back in 2022 for the reviews, rants, and randomness. Until next time, So long, George. This causes Horde Prime to order Skeletor and Hordak to stop the Christmas spirit from coming back to Eternity. That's not it. And the fact is, we're not introduced to Clarice. Clarice? That would have been a much different movie (laughs) if it was Clarice. I'm a flan. I'm a flan. I just wanted to wish everyone a happy and healthy holiday season, and I'll see you in 2022. I hope.